1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. My name is Justin, I'm one of the co-hosts here, and we have a very we have a great episode for you uh, this week. We're interviewing one of our Discord members, Ty Grig, and it's such a great conversation. And we have great conversations on Discord. He is a key member in that community and it is continuing to grow. We were really happy to be able to have him on and continue our series, just telling stories from the recovery Room. And Ty really represents a success story. Um, and as you get to know him a little bit, you're, you'll see that yes, there was tragedy. Yes. There was difficulty leaving ministry. Yes. All the things, but also he was able to put one foot in front of the other and begin to build a life that is good and is able to provide for himself and his people. And it's just it's such a great story. And it's really what we want uh, out of this community, out of this podcast. Sarah and I both, we want to help people ask the right questions about where they're at and evaluate that and be, to be able to step out well, if they need to, uh, but also to have something to step into and to have the tools to rebuild your life in a way that not just that benefits you, although that's to me, that is enough. Just having a life that benefits you that you're happy with is enough, but also even more than that, to have a life that can continue to be generative and can continue to be life giving to you and those around you. That's really what we want. And that's what this podcast is about. That's also what our community is about. Uh, We have a Discord community. You can check it out via Patreon, patreon.com slash revcovery. Uh, We'll get you all the information for that. Uh, You can join for very cheaply. It's like a dollar a week or more if you wish, but it's just a great community. We're very happy to see it growing. And and more importantly, we love seeing it benefit people. Uh, People get jobs, people get access to resources to help them build their resumes and it's it's such a great thing so i'm gonna get out of your way now and we're gonna get to this story and we're gonna have a good time don't forget to stick around for the poem and uh, yeah without further ado here is our conversation with ty grigg thanks
2: Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Rev Covery, a podcast about leaving ministry or maybe staying in ministry and doing it different, maybe volunteering and leaving voluntary, Maybe just you need a transition in your job. I'm one of the co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is my other co-host.
1: Justin Gentry.
2: Who still takes a long pause before his name, <laughs> just as if you're considering not responding.
1: I <sighs> Sometimes it's like, do I leave Sarah hanging? Do I just... <laughs>
2: Because I don't have abandonment issues. (laughs) Great. Thanks, Justin.
1: We're just going to practice that.
2: Guys, we are letting Justin be mean to me today because it is his literal (laughs) birthday and he would rather spend time with us than anything else. I'm just going to claim that. I'm going to name it and claim it. Um, We are very excited to be joined with one of our like early, early adopters, Ty, who's been part of our community for a while, like a while since last year, even when we started. And Ty has an incredible story. We're excited to share that. Ty, you know how we start. We want to know your prison story. We want to know how long were you in and what did you serve for? So can you give us a little background of how you got into ministry and how long you did that for?
3: Well, uh, yeah, in some ways, I mean, it was kind of in the family. My grandpa was a pastor and a Southern Baptist pastor. And so that was, you know, it's always like you when you're growing up, you're thinking like you're looking around, what are your options, you know, for jobs? And you sort of look around your family members. And it was always kind of in the back of my head, like, oh, maybe I'll end up being a pastor. And then high school, college kind of like all led towards as soon as I got out of college, I started working for a campus church for six years one of those years was just raising support full-time traveling all around and, and talking to people because yeah I was fully I had fully fundraised my salary I did that for six years and then I decided to go to seminary and then I after seminary I was a pastor at a church from 2000 uh, about like 10 years. So six years in campus ministry, 10 years in just a uh, community, suburbs.
2: 16 years total. One of the things that I think is not, I don't like you have great timing. Ty left two weeks before the pandemic closed all churches down. <laughs> How yeah. did that even, well, it just I, happened that way?
3: I announced that I was leaving. So, actually, I didn't end up leaving until August of 2020, but two weeks prior to COVID shutdown is when I announced to the church that I was leaving. And then I was bracing for a four – I had a four-month window where they knew I was going to be leaving and I was going to still be around. And I was like – two weeks in, I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. This is going to be really – this is going to get awkward. And that was the last Sunday <laughs> that I saw people. <laughs>
2: and then so it, wasn't it was awkward. actually
3: not very hard.
2: Yeah. The whole world is awkward.
3: <laughs> yeah. There was, it was hard for other reasons, but not for that reason. So.
2: <laughs> and what led to you, yeah, what led to you sort of switching gears? Because if you grew up in mm-hmm. it, if that's what you knew from the time you were really young, yeah, what made you move?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I always had a, I, part of it was a denomination I was in. We, it was just a weird situation where we, I was pastoring a church that had been kind of like restarted by a kind of missional pastor leader guy. And so it was a, It was in the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, which is basically like, I would just say, Baptist.
1: I've been some, there. Uh, I, uh, I, yeah, I, but I, I grew I, up Christian Missionary Alliance. Oh, um, you did? So, yeah, I did. I did for the most part. And yeah, Baptist with a missions.
3: Yeah. More international
1: mission wall, missionary wall.
3: So we were kind of this weird thing where this pastor who started the church, his dad and grandpa were, had been CMA. But he, and so he, but he wasn't really CMA. And then our whole church wasn't really into being CMA. We just were like, yeah, they're fine. And, but so we were really different and, and, and in relationship to the rest of the denomination, like I would, it's like, I'm not that kind of pastor. It's like, i I'm, we're not that kind of CMA church is kind of what we would always mm-hmm. tell people. And sometimes people would visit and they would, you could tell like they did not like us at all because they were expecting a CMA church and we weren't that. So I always knew like that was going to be the challenge was I, I was always going to have a hard time getting ordained in the, in the CMA church because they were way more conservative than I was. I mean, but so there was like all throughout, I actually never got ordained in the CMA. They never they gave me a license after two years and then they and and then basically that was what did it was like I was moving further away from them and they were already having a hard time with like really silly issues from like the 1950s and 60s, like premillennialism and women in ministry, and I was like, that is like, that is like, I have like nine other things that you're going to be more freaked out about than those things. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just knew we were heading a different path and this they were never going to sign off on it. So that was kind of, I would say that was probably the easiest reason to give was like, yeah, this it's not working out with the denomination.
2: And then your church was like, yeah, we get it. We don't, we're not actual little CMAs, Country Music Awards. We're <laughs> we're yeah. we're different. It's like you guys just used their clip art. Is that what the denomination? I mean, that was remember?
3: when I was telling people that I was leaving. That was I said, you know, uh, there's certain things that being a pastor in this denomination I have to believe or sign yeah. off on. That you can be a part of a CMA church and you don't have to think or believe those things, but but I can't be a pastor here. And I think that's kind of helped people understand like basically it's like I have to leave, you can stay and still believe those things, but I have to leave because well, I'm the pastor, so I need to be more kind of in line.
2: And those things were really around like LGBTQIA full inclusion yeah. and all that sort of stuff was like that That was
3: sort of the last one where it was like, Oh boy, like yeah. I, I
1: it was just so many things that kind of blew up at our, our yeah.
3: at our church
1: around that. It is interesting, churches like that, you can go as far as being like, I'm not sure that Jesus was divine, and they'll be like, let's work with you, we'll figure that out. But then you're like, I think that LGBTQIA people are full people, and should be allowed to do all the things that anyone else does. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second here, like, I thought you just didn't believe Jesus was God, whoa, (laughs) like... Like it's, it's wild the, how the the emphasis gets put all on that. Yeah. It's, um, and uh, most denominations that are like that, it's the same story. It's well, I mean my,
3: my, wild. my co-pastor, I have, I had uh, a couple co-pastors at the time we had a co-pastoring model. And basically when I said that I was affirming, they, I mean, it ended our, it basically ended our relationship hmm. like for the next, they ended up leaving before I left, but it was, um, <laughs> but they were only around for like the last four or five months that they, they announced they were leaving after this all happened. And then, and then they basically, they just kind of stopped talking to me. And they told me straight up, like, we just don't trust you. So it was a really kind of a tense, Yeah. Like we don't trust you because of how you've kind of gone about, you know, saying where you, where you are and that you're affirming and, and I, and I still to this day do not fully understand their reaction to it, but basically our, our relationship just like never recovered. And we and were like pastored together for five years prior to that. So
2: guys, I ran into the, uh, the guy that I co-pastored with for a while. He was the lead pastor at our bigger site. And then I was like the campus pastor at the smaller site. Both of us are, we're very similar, both very creative. We used to build We'd be like, writing sermon series was so fun. Did we both want to run a church? No, but we really like both like to be creative and he's got way more skills than he thinks. But I ran into him walking my dog the other day and we went on like a half an hour walk and it was just so wonderful. And I was thinking about how many people have had tumult. I've had some past like co-pastor situations that were really hard like I had the audacity of being concerned about one of my pastor's daughters um, and her behavior was very much she was really um, asking for attention and in like she was wearing you know cut off shirts to youth group and now I'm like okay I probably would not have said anything but at the time I was like hey your daughter is the only one doing this and she was like you cannot talk about my daughter and after that moment and I think what bothered her is her daughter sort of I was her like person that she would tell everything to. So I, I understand being a parent has got to be super hard. And then there's this youth pastor who's a younger female and you're one of the lead pastors who's a woman. Then all of a sudden her daughter's confiding in you and then she's concerned about your daughter. But she same thing. Like how we work together when she all of a sudden she went from like adoring me to not liking me at or or I felt like didn't like me at all. And now when I see her, it's like seeing an ex-boyfriend like, hey mm how are you? You look great. Like, just sort of like, (laughs) I hope things are well. Like, I really, and I leave feeling like, I hope, like, I care so much about these people. And I did. We worked together. We were in the trenches together. But for whatever reason, I I did something by, and I felt like that was a shift. But I know exactly what you're talking about, where you're walking down the hallway and you're like, I don't understand why you like, you don't trust me. That's the feeling I got. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. I thought we were on the same team. This feels weird. Yeah. Are you not curious about what I think? <laughs> or like, was he not yeah. curious about how you got there? Well, there was a okay.
3: So the way that it happened was I uh, there was like a kind of a, a Facebook Kofeffi kind of a moment of uh, you know Kofeffi like Trump's tweets tweet. Mm-hmm. So no, it was like where he
2: accidentally t- yeah it just, his tweet was he just, just so <laughs> yeah. he just was it like he pocket tweeted.
1: Probably yeah. I think it was just a terrible a bad tweet. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So.
3: What so I so I don't know if you know Pastor Judy Peterson, but she was a chaplain at North Park University, and she was there when I was at the seminary, and just had a, a lot of respect for her. She is in the Evangelical Covenant denomination, which is what the seminary that I went to was, and she got basically got kicked out for performing a same-sex marriage or wedding, and I tweeted some, or posted on Facebook about I wasn't even it wasn't even that I was affirming it was just that. At that point, I was really processing it a lot. And my, my wife's a teacher at a high school and they had one of the big turning points for me was there was like five years in a row, I guess, like kind of a, a content warning about uh, death or self-harm. But, you know, they had five years in a row where somebody killed themselves and they were all LGBTQ. And it was so it was like mm. one person in every class had lost somebody. And, and, I, you, and I was like, and I think that the uh, people I've talked to other people, even in our church, and it's like, it just seems like the more people, you know, or the more that you're right. impacted or the closer you are to the impact of how, how just homophobia and just hurt especially in the church, like exclusion, how much that is killing people. And it's like, that's a different conversation then. So I just, and Facebook just posted like, you know, link to the article that she had gotten dismissed and it said, I, we got to be able to sit down and have conversations about this. This is, this is a very complex and, and, but we're just kicking people out. And so, you know, what's that going to solve? And, and I just, just by posting that, like, don't fire her. Like let's, we need to be able to have a safe space to talk about this like that just unleashed a firestorm. like people from college were coming out of the woodwork like to comment on this <laughs> facebook post and one person asked me straight up like hey are do you are you affirming or not and i was like i've been on the spot and i just was kind of like tired of like i was like that was a moment i realized like actually yeah 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 <laughs> i am i i i wasn't a premeditated like today i'm going to announce to the world that i'm no, affirming. you know that's
2: weird Yeah,
3: yeah So Mm -hmm. that just came out and I was like, as I wrote it, I'm like, that's true. That's, that's what I believe. And that's what just people
2: were were just so angry (laughs) about it. I have this woman who is from my past. She, she's very much a prof. She believes in like prophetic ministry and like, you know, all this sort of stuff. She like has spoken in tongues over me. It's just, she's, she is who she is. She like she proclaimed that I was going to marry my ex-boyfriend. We could all see where that's headed. And it was just sort of this like para relationship, I would say, like we weren't super close. The only time this woman comes out to comment on anything of mine, whether it's a thumbs up or anything, it's always a picture of me and my queer friends. And she will write a angry face. Oh. And that, like, you know how angry face is an option or whatever that face is. And I'm like, lady, <laughs> we have zero relationship. Also, I'm having a lot of fun at this wedding. Like, th- <laughs> yeah. they just happen to be my queer friends. Like, why do you have to? And it's literally only ever when I post anything about that. And it's like, I if if my life is like that, what if I were queer? Like, can you imagine mm-hmm. right. how these people are treating your yeah you know, your wife's students or even this mm-hmm. idea that, like, we, we have to have the conversation about how do we feel about that?
0: Mm-hmm. I just yeah. don't think
2: like that is such a harming conversation even.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: I, I remember when I got called into the inquisitorial Uthrim. board, the <laughs> youth room, like, like, and, you know, and I, I was like, you know, this isn't just an academic matter for me. Like, if I mm-hmm. get this wrong, I have to do a kid's funeral.
2: Yeah, thank you. Like, yeah, that's it. So,
1: so for me to just like spout off whatever the denominational line is, like that's not good enough for me. And I think, I think it like that dawned on a couple people, but I think ultimately they're like, well, yeah, it sounds like youth ministry is hard. Like, (laughs) like yeah, it is. Like, (laughs) like these kids could die, like Mm -hmm. if I mess this up. And so, I you have to have a certain amount of care you have to have a certain amount of bandwidth you have to have a certain amount of like curiosity about difference or or allowing differences to coexist in any space honestly and especially around this particular i hate saying this particular issue around people that are like this and have been abused mm-hmm. by the church for generations yeah, uh, we can't also- just casually be like yep you don't say gay and that somehow that's that's okay no it's not
2: it's not it's also so damaging to be like oh we'll just not talk about it Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's interesting you know i really enjoyed our last conversation just in kai was sharing like my church wanted to be so proud of the fact that i was queer but i just wasn't allowed to talk (laughs) about it (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is just like oh my heavens yeah that just feels like such a to not be able to be within your identity is so not fair. And then the shock that we get, right. The experience that we get of like, why are you reacting to this? And I think it's interesting too, because we're so concerned about saving their life that it trumps a once belief we had that we're saving their soul. Right. Like it used to be like, I've got to save everybody from hell. Like for me, I never believed that difference in sexuality was going to take people to hell but that was for some of you guys you grew up Mm -hmm. in that like belief right but all of Mm -hmm. a sudden when it's like no longer a theoretical it's a in reality it's like oh no I actually care about the here and now and I care about this person right in front of me right now and whether or not they complete suicide and just what that means not just for them the entirety of the community and you know this should never be an option pride is about you know reminding people that you can be proud of who you actually are and yeah it's just such a it's such a difficult thing that so many uh so many of the people we talk about that's the reason they left and it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. because they're queer there are as as many i would say in the discord channel it is because they were queer but it's also people Mm -hmm. who are just like this isn't like one and one does not equal two right now and i don't know how to keep you taught me to love people and then you said except for and that doesn't make any sense
3: Mm -hmm. i mean even before i even said uh or you know, before I even had changed my mind about being affirming, I, I mean, like I was probably, you know, I spent, you know, far too long of a time to be honest before I changed my mind, but it was, there was just so much, you know, it's just like kind of an indoctrination that had to be broken through. But I, but when, um, overage fell, the ruling came through, um, you know, I think it came through like on a Friday or a Saturday and we had, we had a range of people at our church who were rainbow, would wear rainbow flag, uh, maybe discreetly, but then somebody yelled at us because we didn't, we didn't basically give a sermon about the Supreme Court ruling and how bad it was. And and a big thing that changed for me was having kids and being like, if they're gay, I'm choosing them. Like that is. I, it's like, that is not an option. So, so what kind of, what kind of a hypocrite would I be if, if not knowing whether they are gay or not, that I would tell other people that they kind of have to hold this line that I know I'm not, I wouldn't keep, <laughs> I'd be out in a second.
2: I met a guy at a coffee shop and we recognized each other and I knew what church he had been a part of. And he said the same thing. He was like, I was in a board meeting and they asked me to sign a document that marriage was between man and a woman and he was like I'm not even a pastor like I was just serving on their elders board or whatever and he was like absolutely not and they looked at him and they're like "Why? Won't, it's not a big deal like just sign it like it's no big yeah, deal just he's sign like it. Just I sign have kids if my kids want to marry someone of the same gender I'm all in and I am a hundred percent choosing my children before I choose you and they didn't know what to do because he was cool <laughs> like they're like wait we want you like you're, you're a, like yeah. a really cool artist and you draw people into the community because you're this person and what do they do and he ended up leaving over it because he felt like they were so what he considered weak about it that even they yeah. were like well we won't really like talk about it we just need to know that you believe that and he's like I don't so yeah,
1: like, yeah. you shouldn't want yeah. me on your board
2: if that's something you're really strongly into
1: that's what's so wild about like I mean there are plenty of churches that are like in your face well, anti-queer but I think there there's so many more that are like, Yeah, we really need you to affirm that marriage is between a man and a woman, but can we just not talk about it? Can we just pretend it doesn't exist? You know, and that's I don't to me that's almost worse. Yeah. In some ways. Like especially for the queer people that are like yeah. maybe a part of the community that that are I feel like constantly unsure of whether or not this place is safe or when it's gonna turn on them. And that's and that's really unfortunate. And I and I think you know, tie your answer of I'm going to choose my kids. Like that sounds like revolutionary or something, (laughs) but to me, that's like baseline, like the bars on the floor (laughs) parenting. Like that's just like, of course I'm choosing my kids over a doctrinal position of some dude that, you know, like, no, absolutely not. I, I will choose my children every time. And that, that confuses people or that there are people that don't, that just, I I personally can't fathom that. And I think we need, I think we need more people Ty, to articulate that very basic sentiment of I'm picking my kids and, and that's not, and that not, not a bad thing. That's not a, it's right. not a theologically weak thing. No. Like, right. It's not even like a, really a decision. It's just like, no,
2: <laughs> it's like, I love how you say it's instinctual. And I think that's the thing to fight our instincts and then to worry About our instincts. Yeah, there's just so much. I, so obviously, this is a conversation that is incredible and wonderful. And when we've had with people, it's often over this. When we come back, we're going to take a brief break. Ty, you're unique in that you found something that you feel like has been a thing that was a good career move. And I think sharing that story would be super helpful and hopeful for folks who are like, yeah, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't fight the good battle because there are people who are like, I'm going to stay and try to change people's minds but you were like yeah i'm not going to get ordained in this i'm never going to have a voice at this table it's time for me to find something else so when we come back we are going to talk about what ty found and uh why it's been so life-giving it's giving feels really churchy but i'll say it anyway life-giving
0: first corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just That. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know welcome
2: back. I have to say something that I think is really important as we've been doing this series where we've been interviewing folks from our Discord community. So many people say, well, I don't know if I want to share my story because it's so similar to other people's where um, LGBTQIA, uh, George Floyd or folks before that really were tipping points. But I think the more you hear it, the more it's normalized and the less it feels scary and daunting to do the thing you think you should do. So I don't want anyone to feel discouraged to share their story just because they feel like it's similar to other people's because it isn't because you are not the same. And I think long enough, those of us who ha- were in ministry were kind of, I don't know, we were sort of told that we were replaceable. And so in, in that way, I think we've lost our ability to um, see our the importance of who we are and how our story is different to other people's stories. So thank you for sharing that part of your story, Ty. Now, I would love for you to share, if you're cool with it a little Mm -hmm. bit about kind of what you do now and how you found it and why it's been kind of a thing of encouragement for you. Yeah. You told me earlier you have survivor's guilt. So (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) I was like, no, people need to hear the good on the other side, my friend. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, So I think, you know, I knew, I, I kind of knew that I was leaving, you know, probably for a good two or three years. I, I, I just sort of could see it. And in my mind, I, my mind, I was kind of planning an exit strategy and so when it finally came time i was looking at kind of what I, I was just kind of put everything on the table like what are my what am i good at you know and i know we, we've done that on discord a bit where we shared kind of how you can translate you know ministry skills to other skills uh and like or how to translate it for a resume i put on like okay i have this engineering degree from undergrad that i haven't used in 20 years but hey it's I did not. Uh, you're an engineer there. I was industrial engineering wow. major. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was an industrial engineer. I was like an industrial <laughs> engineer student that graduated with it. <laughs> nice. But so I kind of had that. That's so impressive.
2: That's so, so impressive. I, dude.
3: <laughs> so there was sort of like, okay, I got this degree, got these skills and this work experience. and But I felt like what's going to get me credibility to like go into a completely different career field? And I felt like, uh, I, just, I don't know how I came across, but what I, end, what I ended up doing was uh, user experience uh, research. I'm a, so I'm a researcher, uh, basically the way I explain it is like user experience people, or sometimes they're called UX UXers. They basically are looking, uh, oftentimes it's, it's like looking at websites and apps and how can it be improved? Uh, like oftentimes we go on a website and we're trying to do something and sometimes those websites are terrible, and they don't work very well, and you get confused and you don't end up accomplishing what you wanted to do so that's kind of our role is to like diagnose those problems and then solve them and fix them so that you know it's a better user experience so that's what I found but what and i i it was one of those things where they have a bootcamp for it, and I'd been looking at boot camps for a long time, and it started I think with mostly coding boot camps, but now there's boot camps for pretty much everything. And it's the kind of the promise is, hey, come full time, do this class for um, six months, six to eight months. And then we'll guarantee that you, you know, you'll get placed with a job or if you don't you know, get all your money back for the school. So uh, I thought this and is And your six way- months.
2: You'll also get six months of your life back. I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't promise that. But they, so it was all online and you know it's probably like it was probably like about six thousand dollars but it was also like you don't have to pay this back until you get the job so i talked to my partner laura and like hey what do you think about this and she was like this sounds great you should do it you should go for it so so that i was like kind of surprised how positive she was (laughs) but um (laughs) it was like okay cool like uh you know she's been reliably um when she has been like really like go for it or it's usually been the right move. So she's got good uh, instincts. So anyways, I went for the class and then it was also, I mean, it was another thing where I was really struggling to keep up and then the pandemic hit and I had a lot more time at home. (laughs) So I, I was able to do it. So I had started it like in January of 2020 and I was able to do most of the class in the six months and, but it's still at the same time, I, I was really feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to get a job with this. Like, I know this will help, but I don't know if it's enough. And when I started to read the fine print of the guarantee, it's like you have you have to really be knocking down doors and you have to meet a certain number of quota of call. You know, it's like you have to really prove that you're earning it. And I was like, yeah, this seems like there's a a lot of fine print here that I may not get my money back if I don't get a job. So I I always like tell people that are looking at boot camps like don't don't bank on that that you're going to get your money back <laughs> cuz they're probably yeah. not going to give it back. I enjoyed it. Uh I, I did it all in the basement and <laughs> and I had in because of the pandemic I had a lot of time to work on it. So uh so I got out so what kind of what happened was I finished that class or I didn't quite finish it. I came very close to finishing it and i had my last sunday at the church was august the 4th and they had a big celebration on zoom (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) sorry
2: i turned 40 on zoom
0: my dad turned
2: 70 on zoom my mom turned 70 on zoom what a weird what a weird life guys it was so weird
1: and uh
3: And then, uh, the very, the very next week, uh, my mom died unexpectedly. (sighs) Um, and so it was, and also, um, I have a brother who was, um, severely disabled, cerebral palsy, basically needs full-time care. And my mom was the only, his only caregiver. So that, so not only the grief of losing my mom and that, the shock of that, but then also, um, I'm like. my wife and I are, are Mm -hmm. like taking care of my brother now, like he's living with us. And now until Mm -hmm. we find him like a a better place to live. And so, so it went from like, okay, this is my full-time job. Now I'm going to be taking care of my brother. And in some ways that was such a, such a sort of a traumatic transition that I, like I didn't really even process that I had left the church because this other thing was just so much bigger that it wasn't until after like a year later and after my brother, we had found a good place for my brother and gotten that all taken care of and kind of decompress and even have a job. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, and, and then I, that's when I really started to like process and grieve like what the ministry changed and all that. But okay. So back to the getting a job. Uh What happened was I wasn't looking for a job. I hadn't even finished the bootcamp. I was just focused on taking care of my brother. And then I, some, a college friend of mine or a college acquaintance of mine really, um, who I had talked to about UX before I started the bootcamp, she worked for a company and she said, this small consulting company, and she called me up in December. And I was still taking care of my brother. And she said, hey, how's the bootcamp going? And I explained, you know, kind of the situation and what like had happened. My whole and,
2: life fell apart. That's how it's going.
3: <laughs> so good. But uh, then <laughs> never finished. <laughs> and she said, uh, well, we're actually hiring. So <laughs> I, first I said, oh, you know, please let, keep me, you know, let me know. But I just can't do that right now. I really got to find a, find a good place for my brother and really got to focus on him and stuff. And then I got off the call and like immediately regretted. Like, why did I? Wait a minute. Why am I doing that? Wait Maybe I shouldn't do that. And so yeah, I called her back and said, actually, I w- yeah, I will apply. <laughs> uh, we'll fi- and I'll figure it out. And like, what's the if you know if I don't get it, then great. I didn't have time for it anyway. But um, if I do get it, then <laughs> I'll make other arrangements. And um, so yeah, I. I it was like, it was this weird thing because I was expecting to have to do all this, like submitting resumes and cover letters and interviews and all this. And it was really just, I knew somebody, I got a foot in the door, I had a couple good interviews and they offered me the job. And I was like the only place I had really applied for. So that's kind of where I feel like guilty because I yeah. just feel like that is not normal. It was... Life circumstances, I wasn't looking. And then it was, be, you know, kind of because I knew somebody that, you know, really got me the job.
2: So the last couple of weeks, I find it so fascinating that so many of us leave ministry with grief. And then there might be some sort of life experience that compounds the grief. So you mm-hmm. had trauma upon trauma upon trauma. Mm-hmm. You're still in this like boot camp experience. And yet you <laughs> feel grief for having something some light out of that and i just want to tell you that you shouldn't (laughs) like you Mm -hmm. this is not the struggle olympics the fact that you found something that was able to support you and your family especially as your brother is you know being put in that's never inexpensive and the time that you spent with him is you know Mm. incredible and amazing and to be able to have had that time is great and to be able to have this time where you are not concerned about feeding Mm. your family or being taken yeah. care of or whether or not your company stands for people that you care about, I think is mm-hmm. such a gift. And I really wanted to encourage you to tell your story because I think so many people are at that moment before that friend called where mm-hmm. they're going, where is anything going to show up? And the truth mm-hmm. is we don't know. And sometimes it's just taking a step like, Oh, maybe right. I'll sign up for this thing or I'll, you know, you know, the, the, Current like corporate job I have is because I went to my friend's restaurant's 50th birthday and they asked me what I was doing because they loved me as a preacher. And then they're like, I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm coaching people and it's great, but I'm just, I'm needing some like income and that's like dependable because I don't really like this hustle thing. And they were like, oh my God, would you consider working for us? And at the time I was like, hey, I just Mm -hmm. applied to be in management at REI. And they're like, you can have all of our... (laughs) all of our REI um, residual or whatever it's called. And I was like, and whatever they're paying you, we'll pay you more. I was like, whoa. And that was that, right? And I think the thing I want to visit for a second is how hard it is for us to feel our worth when we've had to raise our own money. That's Mm -hmm. something that, unless you've experienced it, having to raise your salary, having to prove to people why they should pay you. And it might sound, well, everyone has to do that. Mm, yes and no. Not quite as
1: directly <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure.
2: It's it's yeah. about you not about the position and so I think we we come out of it with this weird guilt that we don't deserve anything that shows up on our door because we didn't do the tap dance for it and yep. I just the number of people in our communities that were missionaries and had to spend so much time trying to yeah show their worth mm. right mm-hmm. and then you try to get a normal quote unquote normal job where you know you you need to have some bargaining skills and you don't have them mm-hmm. you don't have them yeah yeah because you're just like thank you for the job
1: <laughs> yeah thank you for considering me a lowly servant and 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 it it is like that and it becomes this thing where you like you question, at least for me, I think a lot of people in I wouldn't even say this is a rev covery thing, this is just a deconstructed from evangelical culture thing. Where like if something good is happening to you, it's like, oh well I I'm blessed to be a blessing. So like I have to use this for good. Like I can't enjoy it. Like I have mm, to turn this around right. and like I have to and like you can just enjoy where you're at. Like that's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: you know, and and also like like I think it's this imposter syndrome thing where it's like I didn't work hard enough I didn't do enough you know I I have this you know this is by luck they're gonna find me out and I mean this is like normal human stuff too but it's like I feel like we got a double dose of that for whatever I mean I I could dive into it that's a whole another podcast but like and it's taken me many years like I've been out of ministry now six seven years and I feel like I'm just now being like you know what it's okay to be happy (laughs) Turns out like turns out being happy is that like that's reason enough.
2: It's the justification (laughs) thing. And Justin and I have talked about it before because sometimes I'll tell the guys I work with what I did with my day and they're like, okay. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. and finally one of my uh one of the guys I work with was like, Hey, like actually our founder and CEO is like, um you I'm more worried about you working too much, not too little. So you don't mm-hmm. have to justify you being here because I'd be like, okay, I organized this and I did this and I did this and I did this because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so used to having to account for my time in a way that's different. And I think when you worked in nonprofit or you raise funds, it feels yeah. like you have to account for everything and even your free time. So I laughed. I'm only laughing at you, Justin, because last night mm-hmm. I had to have a sit down with myself because I was I came home from like, I worked all day long on an event, which is very me. Uh, It was a five-year anniversary of a running group that I belong to. And I was behind the scenes making um, spreadsheets, making sure check-in happened, making sure the beer run happened. Everyone's partying. And I'm like, okay, here's what we need to do. And we need four runners on the thing. All right, everyone, hey, yeah, party. This is great. It was like sorority Sarah met Pastor Sarah, ran into each other and created like Run Club Sarah. And the, the guy who started the group, he helped me with all the spreadsheets. So it's like other people were pitching in, but I definitely the day of was like, this is going to be the best experience for everyone else. Yeah. And then I got home and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to dinner with my friends and then I'm going to watch a New Zealand murder mystery. Don't make fun of me. I'm either watching a British one or something from New Zealand. So I'm sitting watching it and I had to literally turn it off and say to myself, it's okay. Because I was like, well, maybe I should work out while I watch this. Maybe I should. Um, ooh, I really should work on my tax stuff. I really should do all this stuff because it's like I feel like I need to account, and every moment of my time needs to be productive. Because for so long, my career was one that never turned off, and so I literally. This is the conversation I had with myself, Sarah. Are all of your bills paid? Yep. Sarah, are all of your friends taking care of and doing great? Yep. Your family's in Europe, they don't care what you're doing. <laughs> like, you can, like, is doing crunches right now going to radically give you a six pack immediately? Nope. You can do them in a little bit. Like, you can sit here and just watch this TV show, which sounds ridiculous, except to listeners and folks who have been in that, like, I got to account for everything I do. So here's your, here's your, uh, don't feel, don't have survivors.
3: (laughs) No, that's really good. I think that's definitely there. It's like, yeah, it's just hard to, uh, and, and that, especially that point too of just like giving yourself permission to play and have fun. And, you know, and I think I'm, I'm figuring that out now a bit more. It's just, it's so nice just to be able to, go work out on Sunday morning instead of going to church or, you know, or and like go work in the yard and know that I don't have a meeting that I have to be at Um or that I can just sort of sit down and relax, watch TV with family in the evening and not, you know, have to be meeting with somebody from the church. So I don't miss
2: it. Yeah. I don't. Um, that's an important moment. I don't miss it. I think I keep expecting to, I miss parts, right? But I keep expecting to miss it more. And I miss the camaraderie, honestly, of my colleagues. But I ran, I told you, I ran into my friend and he was sharing the difficult stuff and I was sharing the grief of having left. And he looked at me and said something lovely. He said, I think a lot of us are grieving staying because we're watching the thing we love struggle. Mm-hmm. He said, so there's mm-hmm. as much grief had you stayed, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Woo!" he's like, you're helping people through coaching, which is what I'm appointed to do. Like you get least have a little bit of hope because what you're seeing is flourishing and changing and helping people. But I never really thought of that either. The guilt of boasting and going like, you can -hmm. can work your yourself to the ground, but if it's not a system that's working really well.
1: I think we're all trying to avoid grief Mm -hmm. as much as we can. I've I've been talking with someone like somewhat related about like purity culture. Like, you know, there are people that are grieved like, that, oh, I didn't have any experiences. And there are people that grieve like, oh, I had a few too many experiences. And there's grief in both of those. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we have to accept that no matter what path you chose, there isn't a grief free path. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not one where you just get to just like, if I would have made this choice, then I wouldn't have had any problems ever. And that's just not whatever life is. Like, that's just not part of it. And well, we've we been taught yeah. grief
2: is a sign of massive problem versus part of it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You're just gonna have it, and that's 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 it. That's my point.
2: <laughs> that's it. And and the longer you push it away or try to outperform or try to avoid, it just makes it worse.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, Ty, I'm proud of you for leading into it and realizing, like, months later, even like, oh wait, this this is hard. Losing your mom is hard. Mm -hmm. Losing your career is hard. Dealing with a brother who's, you know, who is, has a compromised life, but you adore that's hard watching our family and friends struggle. That's hard. And so those moments when you're working in the lawn, that's great. (laughs) Just take those in. Those are the beautiful moments, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's the not feeling guilty about those things and recognizing Those are, I think, really profound. And I don't know, you you bring up something that I think is important is the comparison, Justin, right? Like, I haven't had enough experiences compared to whom? I had too many experiences Mm -hmm. compared to whom? Like, I think we just Mm -hmm. sit and compare ourselves. Like, of course, we all, like, I always think I'm too old. And then I remember, oh, like, in 10 years from now, I'm going to be like, if I had started 10 years ago, you know what I mean? Like, there is Mm -hmm. always something to... Remind us that where we are is exactly where we're where we are, and that's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then we have to just deal with that. And if that's a place of grieving, finding community that can grieve with you, I think that's the joy. So Ty, if you do not mind sharing, if you had like one piece of advice, it's uh, make sure you follow up with your boot camp, but (laughs) read the fine print. (laughs) But what else is it that you would say has been has been helpful for you in this journey, or something that you're like absolutely avoid this.
3: I think, I think that uh, one thing I would say is like trust your gut about when it's time to leave. I think I didn't, I didn't trust it for a long time or I didn't give it as much of a voice. I mean, I think there was other, there was just a lot of other competing, you know, kind of misplaced loyalty and the sense of like people need me or something like that. And I wasn't giving very much weight at all to just what I knew needed to happen and there was going to be a path to just more flourishing and just a better life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I felt like looking back, it's like, I, I, yeah, I wish I would have trusted my gut earlier and I wish I would have probably left earlier because yeah, it just felt like when I look back at those years that I didn't realize it in the moment, but they were, I was, just, I just felt like kind of worn down, uh, and not like worn down tired, but like, just, just sort of like, the who I was becoming was just so just felt like it was shallowing out. It was, and, and I, you know, I just feel like if I would have trusted my gut to know like, okay, you, and also give myself permission to say, it's okay for you to leave. I I would want anyone who's maybe in that situation or, you know, to, to take that to heart. And then I would say like, another thing is talk having somebody to talk to outside of your circle outside of your the power structure or the your who you're working with and i had a spiritual director who was like she's like a catholic sister in chicago and she was amazing uh, is amazing and and when i would tell her i mean just like a therapist it was like when i would tell her what was happening at the church and i'd see her reaction to it it was just like and it was like and, and it was like it, just having a, uh, somebody else like a sanity check, like, oh yeah, that's not okay. That's not normal, <laughs> because I was giving everyone the benefit of the doubt of like, uh, you know, I just was. I felt like a, a lot of situations I was sort of gaslit and made to think like, we, you think it's a big deal? Like, no. And and then, but having somebody like uh, Sister Mel, who was like, they did what? <laughs> they said that
2: with the who? <laughs> <laughs> and, and
3: I was like, oh, okay okay, I that's that was also really helpful for me to to give myself permission to know like this isn't this
2: isn't okay, yeah, it's nothing like watching someone else's face react to what you're saying, <laughs> yeah. like oh, I you know, I thought this was and especially it's no stake in the game, right, like someone who doesn't have, yeah, and i I really appreciate. The voices that even in Discord, where people are like, "I don't know you, but I think maybe this is this," or just having someone that is outside and can look in, and mm. you know, I joke. <laughs> I told Justin about it. I think I've said it on the podcast. My therapist, I said something about purity culture, and then she spent the weekend deep diving into oh. purity culture. And then when we I met with her in the next week, she's this woman from Connecticut who's amazing. She leans in and goes, "Oh, what the fuck is that?" <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, like I'd never heard her that loud. I don't think I'd heard her say the F word. She's like, that's fucking crazy. She's like, do you understand that even if you, if if there was no sort of sexual assault or nothing had happened to someone, they would have deep, deep sexual issues. And I was like, yep. Mm -hmm. And she's like, this is just (laughs) happening. And then her husband literally told her to stop reading about it. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, You can't you can't keep reading about this. She's like, Wait, women are told what? She was just like her mind was blown. Yeah. And yeah. then you're like, Oh, it's not that crazy. And then you you hear you see someone else's face you're like, Oh, that is that is being gaslit. That is crazy. So yeah, you're right. Have a yeah. voice outside. Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission and have a voice outside. So I thank you so much for being Such an incredible part of the community for being a little bit of light for folks for a sense of hope that like, hey, I can find something that may not be my absolute purpose, but uses the gifts that I have and allows me to be the kind of person that I want to be. So thank you for that. And thanks, folks, for listening and stick around. At the end, we will have our usual inspiring poem. If you don't like poems or quotes, then you can just like, I guess, skip ahead. I don't even know. We're so glad that you're here and we will catch you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on discord to access our discord. Please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreon.com slash recovery. Now, we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening, and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Rev Cover Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. So come find us, and let's keep the conversation going. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem.
1: Thanks, everyone, for sticking around for the poem. It's uh, always it's always interesting. To find different poems or different quotes or things that resonate with what this conversation was about. And I kept coming back to this one. It's a favorite of mine. I, I think I may have read it before on this podcast, but I want to read it again. It's one that many people are familiar with. Uh, but I found it to be interesting and I think resonated with what we had to say. And I'm gonna read the poem. I'm gonna say a few things, and I just, you know, like like always. poetry is not your thing, then it's not your thing, but I I would encourage you. It's not really my thing to be honest sometimes, but um, I would just encourage you to kind of let the words rest on you a little bit and work on you a little bit and maybe open up something, open up a way of seeing that maybe you wouldn't have seen had before. So here it is. Uh, This is Mary Oliver's wild geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clear blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. I love those words because they offer an invitation to listen to yourself, honestly, to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And that is calling enough. That is expectation enough. And I think that's also enough to know what is right. We talked a lot about what it means to parent and what it means to do the next right thing And, and I think if we can get quiet and let the soft animal of our body guide us I think we'll find our place in the family of things. And I hope that for you this week. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.